I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I've developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. Today we're reading the book of Zephaniah. This is the New King James Version of the podcast. The King James Version is also available. Let us introduce the book, Zephaniah. In chapter 1, verse 1, it tells us that Zephaniah prophesied to Judah during the reign of King Josiah. Judah's first Babylonian exiles were taken in 605 B.C., and the city of Jerusalem fell to the Babylonians in 586 B.C. That's seen in 2 Kings chapters 24 and 25. With only three chapters, this prophet was determined to convey the message of God's approaching wrath. The word day, which is the Hebrew word yom, it's used 20 times in these three chapters, and it's referring to an approaching day of judgment. So exactly how big is this judgment? Let's read Zephaniah chapter 1. The word of the Lord, which came to Zephaniah, the son of Cushai, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, I will utterly consume everything from the face of the land, says the Lord. I will consume man and beast, I will consume the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, and the stumbling blocks along with the wicked. I will cut off man from the face of the land, says the Lord. I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. I will cut off every trace of Baal from this place. The names of the idolatrous priest with the pagan priest, those who worship the host of heaven on the housetops, those who worship and swear oaths by the Lord, but who also swear by Milcom, those who have turned back from following the Lord and have not sought the Lord, nor inquired of him. Be silent in the presence of the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is at hand. For the Lord has prepared a sacrifice, he has invited his guest, and it shall be in the day of the Lord's sacrifice that I will punish the princes and the king's children, and all such as are clothed with foreign apparel. In the same day I will punish all those who leap over the threshold, who fill their masters' houses with violence and deceit. And there shall be on that day, says the Lord, the sound of a mournful cry from the fish gate, a wailing from the second quarter, and a loud crashing from the hills. Wail, you inhabitants of Maktesh, for all the merchant people are cut down, all those who handle money are cut off. And it shall come to pass at that time that I will search Jerusalem with lamps, and punish the men who are settled in complacency, who say in their heart the Lord will not do good, nor will he do evil. Therefore their goods shall become booty, and their houses a desolation. They shall build houses, but not inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards, but not drink their wine. The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hastens quickly. The noise of the day of the Lord is bitter. There the mighty men shall cry out. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of devastation and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet and alarm against the fortified cities and against the high towers. I will bring distress upon men, and they shall walk like blind men, because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust, and their flesh like refuse." 
neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath. But the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of his jealousy, for he will make speedy riddance of all those who dwell in the land. Now, there's no question about the theme of Zephaniah. Because of Judah's wickedness, they're going to be destroyed. The question arises from the usage of the word land by Zephaniah, as in chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, and also verse 18. And here's the question. Does that mean this judgment of Zephaniah is worldwide? Two Hebrew words are used for land in this passage, Adama and Eretz. These are used interchangeably by Zephaniah, and both are translated in the Old Testament as either earth or land based upon context. So here's the question. Is this talking about a judgment on the earth at the end of the tribulation, or is it a judgment on the land by the Babylonians from 605 B.C. to the middle of the 6th century? When you look at verses 2 and 3 of chapter 1, it seems global, accompanied by complete destruction. However, the references to activities of the remnant, the survivors in this book, have led many, including myself, to conclude that well, Zephaniah is probably describing the utter devastation that the Babylonian troops will cause when they ransack the land of Judah, Jerusalem, and the surrounding nations on their destructive trek through the land. Now, Jerusalem fell in 586 B.C., and the other surrounding nations fell at various times before and after that. Since we have concluded that Zephaniah's prophecy of utter destruction refers directly to the Babylonian attack upon Jerusalem, the great day of the Lord of verse 14 looks not to the battle of Armageddon at the end of the tribulation, as some have maintained, but rather to the Babylonian event in 586 B.C., recorded in Second Kings chapters 24 and 25. The term in that day, the Hebrew word yom, is frequently used in the context of judgment by the Old Testament prophets. It's used to describe a period of time when the judgment takes place. Not literally a 24-hour period of time, of course. As a matter of fact, the judgment referred to with the term day in chapters 1 and 2 points in each instance to this Babylonian destruction of the regional nations in the 6th and 7th centuries B.C. Prior to the Babylonian onslaught, the Egyptians tromped into Jerusalem. In actuality, the fall of Jerusalem lasted over 20 years at the hands of the Egyptians and then the Babylonians that began after the death of King Josiah in 609 B.C. It does injustice to the consistency of the text to interpret some of these day references to the Babylonian destruction and other of the day references to the yet future Battle of Armageddon found in Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 21. It seems that Zephaniah is certainly applying that day to the impending overthrow of the land by the Babylonians. As a side note to these verses, notice verse 5 as Zephaniah is itemizing pagan worship in Judah. He says, those who worship the host of heaven on the housetops. Well, that would appear that the prophet is condemning the practice of astrology by the Jews. It is a fact that using the stars as predictors goes back to the Babylonians. And we find that in Hammurabi's tablets, which predated Moses by at least 200 years. Other ancient notations on stone tablets clearly establish a belief that the stars were valid indicators of future events, at least to the Babylonians they were. More extensive collections of astronomical observations and attendant predictions 
uh, have been um, actually found on cuneiform tablets. And um, if you want to look that up, I've got a reference to that in the written notes of BibleTrack.org. They date to sometime between 1350 and 1100 B.C., and they seem to have been created for the purpose of summarizing contemporary astrological ideas. Therefore, without question, astrology had existed well over a thousand years prior to Zephaniah's prophecy right here. And by the way, Zephaniah lists astrology as a form of pagan worship. Verse 5 is interesting in another aspect as well. The mixing of worship of the one true God with paganism. Notice the last part of that verse 5. It says, Those who worship and swear oaths by the Lord, but who also swear by Milcom. In that verse, Milcom is the same as Moloch. You'll recall that Moloch is the god to which the pagans and sometimes the Israelites worshipped, and they did so by sacrificing their children on his altar. Leviticus chapter 20 deals harshly with the issue of Moloch worship, where it's stated in verse 2 of chapter 20 of Leviticus, Again you shall say to the children of Israel, Whoever of the children of Israel or of the strangers who dwell in Israel, who gives any of his descendants to Moloch, he shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. Well, here's a news flash. Here they are being indicted for the sinful practice of mixing the two, the worship of God and the worship of Moloch, even though they were so mutually exclusive to one another. And what about Judah's enemies? Chapter 2, verse 1. Gather yourselves together, yes, gather together, O undesirable nation, before the decree is issued, or the day passes like chafe. Before the Lord's fierce anger comes upon you, before the day of the Lord's anger comes upon you, seek the Lord, all you meek of the earth, who have upheld his justice. Seek righteousness, seek humility. It may be that you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger, for Gaza shall be forsaken and Ashkelon desolate. They shall drive out Ashdod at noonday, and Ekron shall be uprooted. Woe to the inhabitants of the seacoast, the nation of the Carathites! The word of the Lord is against you, O Canaan, land of the Philistines. I will destroy you, so there shall be no inhabitant. The seacoast shall be pastures with shelters for shepherds and folds for flocks. The coast shall be for the remnant of the house of Judah. They shall feed their flocks there. In the houses of Ashkelon they shall lie down at evening, for the Lord their God will intervene for them and return their captives. I have heard the reproach of Moab and the insults of the people of Ammon, with which they have reproached my people and made arrogant threats against their borders. Therefore, as I live, says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, surely Moab shall be like Sodom, and the people of Ammon like Gomorrah, overrun with weeds and salt pits, and a perpetual desolation. The residue of my people shall plunder them, and the remnant of my people shall possess them. This they shall have for their pride, because they have reproached and made arrogant threats against the people of the Lord of hosts. The Lord will be awesome to them, for he will reduce to nothing all the gods of the earth. People shall worship him, each one from his place, indeed all the shores of the nations. You Ethiopians also, you shall be slain by my sword." And he will stretch out his hand against the north, destroy Assyria, and make Nineveh a desolation as dry as the wilderness. The herd shall lie down in her midst. Every beast of the nation, both the pelican and the bittern, shall lodge on the capitals of her pillars. Their voice shall sing in the windows. 
Desolation shall be at the threshold, for he will lay bare the cedar work. This is the rejoicing city that dwelt securely, that said in her heart, I am it, and there is none besides me. How has she become a desolation, a place for beasts to lie down? Everyone who passes by her shall hiss and shake his fist. Now notice the mention of Judah's neighbors as victims of this devastation. Most noteworthy is Assyria's mention along with its capital city, Nineveh, way east, several hundred miles over in modern-day Iraq, according to verse 13, they get it too. Nineveh fell to the Babylonians in 612 B.C. The Babylonians approached around the mountain range through the Fertile Crescent when they attacked and always appeared from the north in so doing. Of course, all of these nations were overcome by the Babylonians. You'll notice in verses 4 and 5 here that a clear geographic pattern of defeat is shown. The initial defeat of Jerusalem, though short-lived, it was at the hand of the Egyptian king who naturally approached from the south along the coast. Look at the cities listed here in verse 4, Gaza, then Ashkelon, then Ashdod. All of those are coastal cities listed from south to north. And then we have Ekron, inland 11 miles from Ashdod in a direct line toward Jerusalem. And that's the route the Egyptian king would have taken to attack Jerusalem. Of course, the Egyptian king fell to the Babylonians shortly thereafter. All of those coastal Philistine cities are to be destroyed along with the Ethiopians, the Moabites, and Ammonites. It seems obvious, at least to me, that the Egyptian-Babylonian siege is what's in view here in chapter 2. And then we find in chapter 3 the yet future restoration of Israel, verse 1. Woe to her who is rebellious and polluted, to the oppressing city. She has not obeyed his voice. She has not received correction. She has not trusted in the Lord. She has not drawn near to her God. Her princes in her midst are roaring lions. Her judges are evening wolves that leave not a bone till morning. Her prophets are insolent, treacherous people. Her priests have polluted the sanctuary. They have done violence to the law. The Lord is righteous in her midst. He will do no unrighteousness every morning. He brings his justice to light. He never fails, but the unjust knows no shame. I have cut off nations. Their fortresses are devastated. I have made their streets desolate with none passing by. Their cities are destroyed. There is no one, no inhabitant. I said, surely you will fear me. You will receive instruction so that her dwelling would not be cut off despite everything for which I punished her. But they rose early and corrupted all their deeds. Therefore wait for me, says the Lord, until the day I rise up for plunder. My determination is to gather the nations to my assembly of kingdoms, to pour on them my indignation, all my fierce anger. All the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. For then I will restore to the peoples a pure language that they all may call on the name of the Lord to serve him with one accord." From beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, my worshippers, the daughter of my dispersed one, shall bring my offering. In that day you shall not be shamed for any of your deeds in which you transgress against me. For then I will take away from your midst those who rejoice in your pride, and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. I will leave in your midst a meek and humble people, and they shall trust in the name of the Lord." The remnant of Israel shall do no unrighteousness and speak no lies, nor shall a deceitful tongue be found in their mouth. For they shall feed their flocks and lie down, and no one shall make them afraid. 
Sing, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your judgments. He has cast out your enemy. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall see disaster no more. In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Do not fear, Zion, let not your hands be weak. The Lord your God in your midst, the Mighty One, will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with His love. He will rejoice over you with singing. I will gather those who sorrow over the appointed assembly who are among you, to whom its reproach is a burden. Behold, at that time I will deal with all who afflict you. I will save the lame and gather those who were driven out. I will appoint them for praise and fame in every land where they were put to shame." At that time I will bring you back, even at the time I gather you, for I will give you fame and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I return your captives before your eyes, says the Lord. Now here is a chapter prophesying Israel's restoration. You'll notice from the wording of this chapter that we're not talking a mere return to the land. That return began in 535 B.C. under the Persians, recorded in Ezra chapter 1. No, we're talking about the world being ruled from Israel and specifically being ruled from Jerusalem. Notice what it says in verse 9, For then I will restore to the peoples a pure language, that they all may call on the name of the Lord to serve him with one accord. It's impossible to make a valid case that this is not a worldwide worship of the Lord. Then there are the references to a pure remnant and complete destruction of the enemy. Well, that can only be millennium talk right there. There can be little question that this passage is messianic and millennial. Verse 15 seems to seal this conclusion when it says, The Lord has taken away your judgments. He has cast out your enemy. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall see disaster no more. There is no time in history that fulfills this scenario. And verse 20 seems to be the capper when it says, At that time I will bring you back, even at the time I gather you, for I will give you fame and praise among all the peoples of the earth, when I return your captives before your eyes, says the Lord. Yeah, definitely messianic in the yet future millennium. So, in summary, the fall of chapters 1 and 2... That fall is obviously that of Jerusalem and the region to the Babylonians in the 6th century B.C. But the restoration of chapter 3, well, that looks to the yet future millennium under the Messiah. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Faith Bible Church, Paul Walker.